Hello, and welcome to the movie Groundhog Day, otherwise known as episode 39 of Locked On Canadians, your daily Habs fix. I want to remind everyone that it is Thursday, so please send us your mailbag questions. You can tweet them at us at LO underscore Canadians, or you can email them to LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com, and we will read your mailbag questions and answer them on tomorrow's show, as we do every Friday. My name is Laura Saba, and I'm your host. And I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Scott Matla. Scott, how are you doing? Like you said, it's Groundhog Day. I've watched the same game three times in two days this week, and it's absolutely maddening. <laughs> and by that, Scott means because he also covers the Rocket, which is, I guess, mirroring the big club at this point. Would you say that the same issues are ailing both teams? It was strange that they um, they both scored. The Rockets scored first tonight against the Marlies, and the Habs scored first against the Sens. Played well, gave up a tying goal, did nothing for the remainder of the game, and then lost in overtime. The Rocket lost on a terrible goal against, and the Habs lost because someone just blew their coverage entirely. But the games were mirror images of each other where absolutely nothing of note seemed to happen at all after the goals. And that's something where, you know, we, we keep going back to this. We keep going and looking on natural statric. Maybe we should just block it on our computers and phones for a little bit so that we won't have the same frustrated reaction to the games. But the, the Habs are playing really, really well. I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is a Stanley Cup caliber team, but this is definitely a playoff team. It's a team that can challenge. It's a team that can do really well. And even without two of their best players up front, the Habs are still playing phenomenally. And that's something that is a little bit worrisome, is that the goals aren't coming. And we know that usually when that happens, it's due to bad luck. You know, if the Canadians are doing the right thing, you know, it makes sense that eventually something is going to go in. But what what usually ends up happening is that coaches and managers feel like as soon as there's a little bit of a losing streak, which... I have to point out that the last time the Canadians lost three games in a row was February 2019. So it's been a while, but anytime something like this happens, anytime bad luck starts to get the better of a team, the coaches and the management sometimes panic and do things like send somebody down they shouldn't, hopefully not make a big trade, or like change the system in a way that isn't going to work, that's going to harm them. And at this time of the year, it is pretty early. You do have the option to, you know, to try new things and change things up a little bit, switch things up a little bit. But it really, really does seem like the Canadians are playing really, really well and they're getting burned by either mistakes or bad luck. Yeah. And that's the thing about this game and the game in Columbus is that they didn't do anything technically wrong. It's just their one simple mistake ends up in the net or a deflected goal gets past Carey Price because of course, Jean-Gabriel Pajot scored in this game. Of course he did. It was always going to happen. And the thing is, the Canadians don't have anyone to send down or call up. They're so injured now at both levels that they're missing what the team needs. They need someone to finish right now, and they can't. Obviously, Duran and Byron are out. Uh, the Rockets' lead, or second leading scorer got injured in Toronto tonight. He got blasted from behind and left the game. And the other options to call up aren't exactly offense-first guys. They're more of that defensive, smart play, similar to what Arturi Lekkinen is right now. So what they need, I think, if they're not going to make even a small move for, you know, someone who might be on the outs with the team or is kind of that tweener person who's in and out of the lineup, 
is they just need someone on their team to step up right now. And a lot of people are blaming Esperi Kotkanemi, who I thought had a very strong game again. But I'm looking for someone like Max Domi to step up and do anything. Where's the guy we saw last year? We talked about how he shines in the in the big moments, and tonight kind of didn't notice him all that much outside of a few things. I mean, it is the second night of a back-to-back, and if we're going to draw positives, I think we should say it is a positive that they did get a point in this game. Any point counts, especially when you give some up like they did, you know, against New Jersey or against Columbus. Like every point that they can make up counts. It's obviously very annoying to lose to the Ottawa Senators of all rivals. But we kind of have to look at the positives at the moment. I don't think that the Canadians really need to switch things up too much. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do do against uh, against the Rangers this weekend. I feel like sometimes they just they'll shake the lineup a little bit, especially Claude Julian. He loves doing this. He'll just like mess up with the lineup just a little bit. And then by like, you know, the middle of the second period, everybody will be back to where they were. So for me, I'm not worried, but I'm very, very annoyed, if that makes sense. No, and I'm right there with you. This was a week where Toronto was in free fall, and believe me, we'll get to that uh, later in the show here, and Buffalo's fallen completely out of the picture, and, and Tampa Bay hasn't quite caught up yet with their games in hand. This was a week where Montreal could have put a very large cushion between them, and so far they've gotten two out of six points. And that's not good enough against two games where they should have gotten at least one more point somewhere in there. And I'm not calling for things to be fired or send down this. It's just they have a game against the Rangers who I believe right now are thrashing the Capitals. So mm-hmm. it'll be very interesting to see what incarnation of the Canadian shows up with two days rest at the Bell Center on Saturday. And they need the team from the first period tonight not the one from the late second and third period. And we'll have a little bit more on the game and then move on to the big news in the NHL in just a moment. The Canadians have one more game coming up this week, and it's on Saturday. We're continuing with the weird breaks between games, and so what do the, the Canadians do have a little bit of, of time. They've got a few days of practice to to be able to change things up a little bit, and I think one of the things that they do need to work on is – I hate saying it because it sounds like a hockey player cliche. Like it sounds like something that they say, they say in between periods on Hockey Night in Canada when somebody stops them in a hallway, but they need to play the 60 minutes. Yeah. And it's entirely that the first period, like we talked about in the first segment, we love natural stature. The Canadians probably should have put three or four goals past Craig Anderson and didn't. And then for whatever reason in that second period or the, in the third period, so either just the juice kind of ran out of their legs on the back-to-back or something, but if they're not finishing those chances, it's coming back to bite them. So I don't know if they need to level it out across three periods or they need to start converting their chances. And it's hard for me, it's easy for me to say that sitting behind a computer screen going, oh, why, why couldn't you score that one as they play a game skating 20 miles an hour with knives on their feet on a slippery surface? But it's, it's not anything bad. It's just, Little things. I don't know if it's just the schedule is hectic and with the injuries that right now the team's trying to refigure out its identity, but it, it's a rough week for it to be going through all that, I think. And you gotta remember the magic formula. Luck plus goaltending. <laughs> that is definitely something that, honestly, the Canadians don't really have that much control over their luck, and that's something that all teams have to deal with. All teams run into situations like this. They all have like these weird slumps during their seasons, long seasons. The one thing that they can control is goaltending. So they really need to 
sort of work out what's going on there defensively back there. Maybe I feel like there's probably something that we are not seeing, but they're doing that they're not realizing. Like, cause for me, I don't really notice subtle screening in front of a goaltender. Like you can see when it's egregious, especially when you're looking at the plea, at the replay and they're talking about, you know, what went wrong there. But a lot of the times, like if, if somebody's just like skating in front of the goaltender real quick, like we might miss it, but there might be things like that. I feel like maybe positionally, like they need to work on what's going on around the crease. I don't know if you would agree or not. I think a lot of it is, is that they're, it seems like they're overthinking on a lot of plays. Like I watched them tonight pump fake a lot of shots and kind of hesitate on things. And it's like, guys, the goalie has an 898 save percentage and has won three games all year. Put pucks on the net. Just keep it simple. There's no need to try and over fancify things. Just direct the puck towards the net right now. You can clearly do that. But you're more likely to, especially with the Havoc and the way that they score a lot of their goals is right in and around the net. They're greasy, and I'll take any kind of goal. And then defensive zone, I don't think they're doing anything really too poorly, at least that I can tell from the game tonight or the Columbus game. You can't control goals bouncing off the glass and back in off your goaltender. That's ridiculous. It's just they need to tighten up on things a little bit, and that's tough with a back-to-back situation. I think their biggest thing is just go back to simple things. You know, skate the puck in with speed, put it towards the net, find the open lanes. Don't try and do anything fancy. Don't try and wait, 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 and then swing on a pivot and throw a blind pass in the slot and hope someone's there. Pass to your teammates that you know are open. Get shots on net. Just simplify it. Don't get fancy. Simplify it. And that goes for everybody involved. Stats or not, you got to put the puck in the net somehow and – Fancy passing isn't always going to do that, I think. I absolutely agree with you. And there's something that I remember, uh, I remember just now is earlier in the season when the Canadians lost some games that they should have really been winning. And I, th- I, I want to say it was the back to back between, uh, Buffalo and Detroit. Shortly after that, they talked a lot about video coaching and, and, and really like spending some time looking at video together. And that really seemed to help. So I'm hoping that because they have the two-day break now between the games, like that can be something that they can focus on again. I'm not a coach, you know, we're talking about from behind our computers, but it really did, they did mention it, especially, I think it was Brendan Gallagher, uh, Thomas Tatar, Max Domi, they talked a little bit about it. And I think that that's something that maybe that they can do. They have time to do, not that they can do, you know, like they can do whatever they want. (laughs) They get paid millions of dollars to do whatever they want and try and win games. But for me, like, I think that this gives them an opportunity to do a little bit more studying. But I think that we're just going to get more and more upset if we continue talking about this game, because at the end of the day, what happened was the Canadians did play well. They made mistakes. They have bad luck. Like we can keep, we can keep saying it over and over again. We're probably going to be saying it for a few more games, to be honest. I, I feel like one of these things, when it happens, it, it, when it rains, it pours. But some big news happened today, obviously. And for the first time, instead of asking ourselves, how does this affect the Leafs? We are going to ask ourselves, how does something that happened to the Toronto Maple Leafs or with the Toronto Maple Leafs affect the Habs. I think that this is going to have huge implications for the division and for the league as a whole. And we're going to like get right into that in just one second. Okay, so within the division, some big news happened yesterday afternoon, which was not entirely unexpected, but perhaps the timing was a little bit unexpected. And that is Mike Babcock who had three and a half years remaining on his $50 million coaching contract, 
was fired by the Toronto Maple Leafs after a relentless losing slump. And it wasn't it wasn't shocking that he got fired. It was shocking that he got fired so soon in the middle of a week, in the middle of a road trip. Uh, I think uh, you know Scott was one of the one of the first people that said he he he's probably going to be gone you know later maybe at the end of the week or something like that and and to me it is it is pretty shocking in the middle of a road trip it's it's not unheard of it's something that that you know GMs do have the right to do or in this case it was Shanahan who did it and and there are a couple of things at play here for me one I think this is is. It's not the cure-all solution for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but it certainly makes things harder for other teams in the division, including the one that we cheer for. The reason is, I don't think that Mike Babcock was... I want to I want to go on the record and say that I was very much very much pro Mike Babcock becoming the Montreal Canadiens coach a few years ago when Michelle Therrien was coaching the team and I was not happy with the with the way it was going. I was banging the Mike Babcock drum, and as I'm sure a lot of people were, but it became really clear when he was in Toronto. You know the way that he handled Jake Gardner to me said a lot of things. And I'm going to let Scott sort of weigh in a little bit uh, because I feel like I've been dominating this part of the segment here. It's a very weird situation in Toronto. We were discussing this in the Eyes on the Prize Slack, and we're talking about, well, Babcock wasn't really adjusting to what he needed to do and wasn't changing things. He fell on his sword because he refused to not continue to walk into it over and over and over again. You would think after you stabbed yourself, a.k.a. lose to the Bruins two years in a row, you would change what your coaching style was a little bit. Kyle Dubas wanted to move on from him this summer. They said no. And the thing is, okay, you were given a lifeline here by the people above the GM. You have to change the way that you coached. And then he put, you know, Cody Cece with Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin with Tyson Berry and never deviated from those pairings despite the fact that defensively the Leafs were an absolute disaster. And Kyle Dubas can come out and defend Cody Cece and everything. Your coach has to tactically adjust, and Mike Babcock wasn't doing that. His, de- his defense of why he played Patrick Marlowe as much as he played Austin Matthews in the Game 7 loss to the Bruins last year isn't acceptable. You don't owe it to a veteran player to play them more. You play your best players more. That's how it should be. And I made a joke, uh, Jason Spezza against Vegas had a goal and an assist to, you know, get them back in the game. And I joked that Babcock must be furious that he has no choice but to play Jason Spezza now because he's the only one creating offense. Unfortunately, it's not really much of his problem anymore because Marc-Andre Fleury diving and robbing Nick Patan got him fired. But it's just it ran its course. They need someone who can adjust tactics to the modern NHL. You can't keep throwing out the same lines and pairings and hoping that your star players just do something above and beyond and kind of break out of the usual monotony that we see. And for someone like Babcock, it doesn't seem like he wanted to change that. It wasn't, well, maybe we should try this approach to the game or I should shake up the pairings for this. We've seen Claude Julien do it this year. You know, Ben Schrott and Shea Weber play against the heavier, slower teams around the net when they need more physicality. But when they need a game where they need to be playing with speed, Victor Mete gets bumped up to play with Shea Weber and vice versa. It's little adjustments that make a difference. And I don't even see Babcock really making those in-game until it's almost too late and the game's out of reach. And I don't think he'll be unemployed long, honestly. There's 
any number of teams he could end up with. I think he could end up in San Jose if they continue to struggle and Pete DeBoer continues to be, as our friend at Lock John Sharks put it, a Muppet, quite frankly, um, if Calgary continues to be miserable. They called up Zach Ronaldo, which is like the worst level of desperation you can have for a team. I don't think Babcock's going to be out of a job that long. It just depends on whether or not he took anything from what this firing was. That's something that we talk about a lot on this show, but I think in general it's kind of like a new thing that people people are sort of waking up to. I'm constantly reminded of our guest from, I want to say it was earlier this month, you know, the episodes are flying by, but we had an episode with Hannah Stewart, who's a, a player development and drafting consultant, and she has a lot, of, a lot to say about rookies and stuff like that, and one of her main, I guess, uh, like arguments, like her main, her core beliefs, I would say, is that people artificially hold back defensemen, and... For me, I, like the way that I look at Mike Babcock's coaching is sort of like it's it's sort of artificial based on old school stuff. Like to me, uh, you know, anytime you criticize a coach for not playing the young guys enough, there's two things at play. One, either like it's something where it's like a really tight playoff race and you literally can't afford any mistakes or you're old school. And the thing that when you're old school is that you probably think that a veteran has earned his stripes and has earned his ice time. And in today's NHL, you can't really do that. You have to look and be like, OK. This guy is like, you know, five seconds old, but he can do, he, he can help the team the most in this situation. He's the one who should be out on the ice in this combination, you know? And that's something that it, it's very frustrating when you are, when you are a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, especially because there is so much out there about the team, so much media, so much analysis, so much discussion. And so you have like, you have a lot of tools available to you as a fan to, to be, to be more analytical. And when you're looking at something like that, and then you're looking at other teams and you're watching coaches play younger players or, or refuse to do things like Mike Babcock was doing with Jason Spezza, like things like that, like, the, um, not being stubborn, I guess, is a good way is a good way to put it. And when you're watching other teams do that and, and succeed in that way, like that's something that to me would be really, really frustrating. And it's not, you know, the Toronto front office is very, very smart. I guess one of the things that happened was they paid this guy fifty million dollars for eight years, and he's a decorated coach, and they wanted to sort of give him the opportunity to succeed. And and so what what effect this has on the Canadians is the one that concerns me the most. We can have all the opinions in the world about Toronto, but one thing that I was hoping was that this would drag on and on and on a little bit more because I wanted it to enable the Canadians to put a, a little a little bit more of a cushion, as, as Scott put it earlier in the episode, between them and the Maple Leafs, you know, so this this kind of like eliminates that. The Canadians are kind of unfortunate that they only got two points this week because I feel like if things had gone the way that I expected them to, there would have been quite a few points between the two teams. The other thing that's going to happen, so Sheldon Keefe is widely regarded as an incredibly good coach. And that's, you know, he did something, he, he was successful in the Sioux and he was successful with the Marlies and now he's being given the reins for the Maple Leafs. And one, one thing that's going to happen with, you know, assuming Keefe is, is what they expect him to be. One thing that's going to happen is the offense that had dried up is going to come back. The defense, even though they might not have the most stellar defensive players, that's going to tighten up a lot. Like their system is probably what's going to happen is their system is going to evolve to match the teams that already are thinking more, more uh, in a more modern way. And the Canadians are one of them. So that's something that like it, it worries me, not just in terms of the standings perspective, but also in a, um, in a head to head matchup sort of perspective. Like that's something 
that I'm not looking forward to seeing. There's another there's another side to the argument is that also, you know, Keith was given really good players in the Sioux and also given really good players with the Marlies. You know, all those Toronto prospects that they had. You can kind of argue that maybe like this is sort of a, a Babcock situation. But to me, I feel like somebody who's young, who's newer, more eager, like that kind of thing. Like, I, I truly think that this is like a really, really positive step for the Leafs. And that's something that I'm not looking forward to. And I think the biggest thing is now out of all of this is that if Keith comes in and changes the system and they continue to lose, eventually the focus has to shift on the players that are there. It's some of this is on Babcock, but at the same time, you can kind of tell when players have tuned a coach out. We saw it in Montreal when Michelle Therrien got fired, and we've seen it how many countless times. At a certain point in time, you stop playing for a coach, and you just go out and do it. And I want to say it was Dom LeCision on Twitter last night in Vegas said, the, the game where, at the end of the game, when, you know, the Leafs started looking like they were the team, they're capable of being scary offensively and created chances, look like Aaron Rodgers when he just started ignoring his old coach and Mike McCarthy and doing whatever the hell he wanted. And I think now it's going to be interesting to see how the players respond to this because the focus now, Keith it no, can do no wrong in Toronto right now, is that he's coming into this mess to try and fix whatever Babcock did or Dubas did or whoever side you're on in that. The spotlight now is firmly on Kyle Dubas, who signed all these players and gave them these big money contracts, and the players who have these big money contracts. You're going to have the spotlight on guys like John Tavares and Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews and Morgan Riley and Frederick Anderson. They need to play up to the contract they have now. And if they can't do that, even with a new system and a new coach, then someone's going to look at this and go, well, what do we do now? Either we've got to start moving some of these players out or we got to move on from the guy who brought him in here. And it's a very tenuous time in Toronto that it's a very fine line to be walking is that the players now have to be better. And I think they obviously all know they have to be better. They're professional hockey players for God's sakes. And at the same time, Kyle Dubas now needs to look at what can I do to improve my team? Now that I have my guy behind the bench, what do I need to do to get him the success he needs that maybe I didn't do properly when Babcock was here that I failed to do beforehand and I think that all starts with, one, for the love of God, get a backup goalie who can stop a puck. But they don't have any money for that. So there's a lot of questions that are going to be going forward. There's The roster hasn't changed. It's just the guy behind the bench. So now, was it the tactics or was it the roster out there? I think, one of the, you know, as it often is with those things, it's probably a combination of both. I just thought of a mailbag question for you. You have only two job options. You can be a general manager of a major league hockey team, or you can be their coach. Which one would you choose? Oh, man. I don't know. Pass? <laughs> can pass? I pass? Yeah. <laughs> well, then you're unemployed. Oh, <laughs> I said, well. I said you get two choices. That's it. You've got two two career choices. I, I honestly, I truly don't know what I would do. There's so much to weigh on both that it's like, okay, I don't know. And I, maybe being unemployed is the better option than having to suffer <laughs> through either choice. Right. I was thinking about it because, you know, in my scenario, obviously it's a perfect world. So as a GM, you have like the best capologist, the best whatever. And then as a coach, you have like the best assistant coaches and, and all that kind of stuff, like the best trainers, that kind of stuff. So like 
if you have all options available to you, I, I, I still think that I would rather be the coach. I think I do too. But at the same time, it doesn't matter if you get fired because if you're in the boys club, you're just going to get hired within 18 months anyway. So it doesn't really <laughs> matter what you do. Yeah. And you know what? We talked a lot about coach firings in our first couple of weeks on this show. Who would have thought that it would have been Mike Babcock that was the first to get fired this season? I'm actually legitimately surprised, and I still think we're due for another one in short order here. I think before Christmas, another coach is going to be out of the job. Well, that's that, that remains to be seen. I do think that the Canadians don't have anything to worry about on that front at the moment. At the moment, I'm hoping that the Leafs have enough of an adjustment period that they still continue to lose games while the Habs figure their own stuff out and. And, you know, like there's still there's still some time for the Habs to build up some points because, you know, Tampa's not going away, as we said. Boston is still like I I would put money on it, you know, without catastrophic injury, like Boston's going to lead the division at the end of the year um, and is going to go the furthest in the playoffs in this division. But, you know, there's Tampa as well. And there's the you know, there's there's Florida. Uh, apparently, <laughs> the Ottawa Senators can also win games now. Who knew? But in general, I I think that the Canadians need to seize this opportunity. They need to they they need to figure out what 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 they're missing, what the magic is that they need to recapture because now is the time to keep gaining ground on Toronto until they do in fact get it all figured out. Yeah, this is a very crucial time. It's a still a weaker schedule right now. Finish the week strong at the very least. If you're going to do nothing this week, they got to get a win on Saturday night. Because you know Toronto has a game the same night. They're going to come out, and we're going to see what kind of response they have. The Canadians need a response of their own after the week they've had and the news around the division because it's about to get very, very heated, more so than it already was going to be because I expect Toronto to go on a heater there. So it's time for the Canadians to get back up on their horse and keep going, I think. We'll see what happens. But for now, we will say goodbye to you. We want to remind you that you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. So please subscribe. Please tell your friends. Please send us questions, observations, opinions. If there are things that you like, you want us to do more of, please say so. If there are things you don't like, you want us to do less of, please also say that. But we will continue to do Hockey Fashion Talk because that is a non-negotiable. Uh, in any case, we will see you tomorrow with a an extended-ish mailbag, I guess, because there's no there's no game recap to do on the Thursday night. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time.